You have one unheard message. Hi, I was calling Current, the influencer marketing platform, but I think I just got redirected to a bunch of people listening to a podcast. Well, anyways, I was calling Current because I was told they could help get my brand set up on TikTok Shop and even build out an affiliate program of content creators promoting my brand and even have those content creators go on live streams and promote my product there. Wow, I could really use Current. I also heard that the brands they work with are making millions in sales. I guess I'll just go to their website at current.tech. Save big on Brunch for Mom, all in the Kroger app. Get 16-ounce packs of flavorful Angus 90% Lean Ground Sirloin for $4.99 each with a digital coupon. Then buy two, get two free on 12 packs of delicious Coca-Cola, Pepsi, or 7-Up, all with your card. Shop these deals at your local Kroger today or tap the screen now to download the Kroger app to save big today. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Prices and product availability subject to change. Restrictions apply. See site for details. Welcome into the House of L podcast. I am Lawrence Holmes. Thank you so much for hanging out with me. I hope that you've enjoyed the last few episodes. It's been fun to kind of get back into the routine of... Like, I really love doing these. I really love talking to people about what it is that they do and how they do it and I got some great guests that are coming up, including today's guests, but just knowing some of the backgrounds of the folks that I'm targeting over the next few weeks is pretty cool. And what we can provide for you in way of learning about the business of broadcasting or the business of journalism, I guess at some point I should probably do more about if you go back, if you go back to the last episode I posted with on Thanksgiving, like it's a a Bears podcast, but really it was about the journalism that existed last week with the Matt Nagy stuff. You get kind of a sense of what I like to do with my class, and I'm happy. Last I checked, it looks like I'm going to be teaching in the spring, which I'm very excited about. And I've got some new ideas that I want to use with the students this quarter coming up, which I'm really excited about. So if you have a student who's at DePaul and they have, if they're not a comm major and they have some electives, be looking in, in springtime for my class because it's downtown. I think I, as I as it stands, I believe we're going to do the class in person. But if we end up because of Omicron having to do it online, I found that to be fulfilling, too. And I think the students work really hard. But if you listen to that episode, you'll hear me talking about. Some of the things that I think are good journalistic practices and the things that I struggle with where. I'm a journalist, but not journalist capital J anymore, if that makes sense, because I'm not out reporting. I'm a talk show host. 
and a podcaster. And I do think that there needs to be a a delineation and we need to explain like what types of jobs are done and who's responsible for what. And I do think that part of the reason that the Negi story got so big was because newsrooms all across broadcasting have shrunk. And I was talking even about the score. Like, I don't want to want to make seem like it's not in my house too, but it, when I started at the score, I would say probably this has happened over the last like 10 years where there isn't a value. Like we don't do updates anymore. And usually what happened with the update role was that person was a news gatherer, whether they wanted to be or not. Like they had to learn. Like if you were, if you were working on updates, then you were getting, mentored by people like George Offman and David Schuster who have sources, who hound stories, stuff like that. And you needed to be able to be connected. And those of us who are talk show hosts can do it. Like if you look at my background and Layla's background and Mully and Haw and Dan's background, all of us have a background in reporting. So we could do it, but it's hard to do while also hosting a talk show, like in the moment. Like we end up doing it when we're off the air, but in the moment you need someone who can actually try to track people down. And yeah, I'm getting text messages and DMs, but it's it's different. So I lament a little bit on that in the episode if you want to check it out. You should. You truly should. I think that you'll enjoy this episode, though. And the reason why is because Cody Decker is really sharp. I like his style. I like the way that he comes across, comes across as very genuine. And he comes across as someone who legitimately cares about baseball he cares about it and that passion comes through wherever it is whatever platform he's on he's sharing stories in the game that you don't ordinarily hear and that's part of the reason that I think that he's so good at what he does so I wanted to get inside that mind of his. I wanted to find out. This guy has lived a lot of lives, and you're going to find that out inside of here. He's an excellent storyteller. And I think that he's doing something that no one else in the business is doing right now when it comes to covering baseball. So I had a wonderful time sitting down and talking with Cody Decker about what it is that he does and why he's so damn good at it. Did you only play baseball growing up? No, I was a football player and played everything. I played like any other kid. I played all kinds of sports. You know, I was into wrestling back then. We did backyard wrestling. Back did you then. really? Oh, yeah, absolutely. We did a ton of that nonsense. We, we used to beat the living hell out of each other in our backyards. Um, but also, like, on top of that, I mean, we, we, did it, we did it all. We were just dumb kids in L.A. Weather's great. Was very into surfing for a while there like any other LA kid probably. And, 
you know, it's just, it's a matter of what's in front of you. And I was always a baseball guy. I, I started playing baseball at two years old, every single day. By the time I was eight, my, per, my hitting coach was Reggie Smith. My mentor was already what? Reggie Smith. Like, yeah, I, I got in with Reggie at eight years old and he was my mentor all the way to my twenties. Like I, I had a very unique baseball experience and it's not lost on me that I'm very lucky with that experience that I had growing up because I come to a place like cities like El Paso, Texas, or I'll go to another small city in like Iowa. They simply do not have big leaguers around them 24 hours a day. I, I was spoiled. My neighbors were major leaguers. Like I, they were just there and then they would hit with you and they would talk to you about baseball. Like I remember, I remember my neighbor was Timothy Busfield actor from the movie, little big league. And of course the West wing, but I was so enthralled that Lou Collins from little big league. I didn't care about the big leaguers. I wanted to meet Lou Collins, the redheaded outfielder from the Minnesota twins from that movie. And he talked baseball with me all the time. Like it was a very unique growing up experience so it's not lost on me how lucky i was and the shoulders i got to rub with and you know i i, I got to have live at bats against you know brad leslie who was known as the animal uh back in the 80s and it, it, legend in japan i'm 12 years old and i got a single off the middle off off of him. the next pitch was thrown right at my head again <laughs> i was 12 12 years old and this stuff he did he did not like that line drive up the middle by a 12 that really that pissed him off so, so when did you know that baseball was more than maybe just something that you like to play with your friends versus the other sports where we all have those visions of, man, I could be a pro at whatever. And then you're like, no, I, I think I'm actually pretty decent at this. You know, we learned kind of early on, to be honest. Uh, That's fair. I, I don't want you to come on here and lie. No, it's just true. I, I knew early on I was going to be a, probably be a professional baseball player or baseball was in my future. I, I think the what absolutely solidified it was probably high school. Um, you know, you get you get to high school and I was a freshman. I got moved up to the varsity team. And, you know, from that point on, I, it was just kind of over my sophomore year. I led the state of California in home runs. And at that point, all my games were just filled with scouts. And, you know, I was getting D1 offers left and right at the time. And which was weird because I don't even think the NCAA was allowed to do that at the time. And which is really strange on top of that, because I ended up signing to UCLA with one week left of my senior year. So despite all those early offers, I'd ended up not signing any of them until I went to UCLA last second. And it's uh, it was just one of those things because it's actually amazing. You, you see baseball and other sports, you see what kind of an ugly business it can be, especially to a young guy who doesn't know anything. I was 17 just seeing the ugliness of college baseball, let alone the pro side. I mean, it, it, it gets to be kind of ugly business when you get into that recruiting stuff. Teams trying to undercut other teams, teams lying through their teeth to you. You know, Arizona doesn't want you to go to UCLA, so Arizona is going to make a fake offer to you to stall you. So UCLA sends that spot scholarship offer to another kid so that when you find out that Arizona doesn't actually need you, you go back to UCLA, they don't have the scholarship for you. It was that dirty of business, and I, I, I hated every second of it. What was the most vile thing that you came encounter with while you were being recruited? Uh, just a flat out, I actually U of a, a flat out lie by one of their coaches, just a lie, lie, lies, lies, just through their teeth. I think that guy's the head coach at Oregon now still haven't forgiven him. When you hear stuff like you go through stuff like this and then you're in the world of baseball for as long as you're in it, how hard is it to trust what anyone tells you? You don't trust anything. Anyone tells you that's at the end of the day. That's just it. It's, it's a business. 
They're going to tell you things. And there might be times when they tell you things. And it is true at that moment. Things change rapidly. Uh, you know, different difference of opinion of a player comes up. You know, one guy that's got your back. There's a guy above him that doesn't got your back. And it's just, you know, you're always playing that balancing act. And you're trying to do what's best for your career. But you also have to keep in mind that you're playing on a team with 24 other guys who are trying to do the very same thing. So, you know, I think baseball has, you know, if you have the right clubhouse, the right grouping of guys, you get the right guys that are always kind of pulling for each other and working with each other. And then you get the teams that are exactly the opposite. And I played for just as many of those teams as well, because you see a guy gets called up, you see 25 bitter dudes that that guy that got the shot and these guys didn't. However, on the flip side, you see other teams where a guy gets called up, the 25 guys are thrilled for him because that guy's success has nothing to do with your success. It's important to support that guy and just like you'd want him to support you going up. But, you know, you get through years of that business aspect. It's very easy to fall into that bitterness. And it's just kind of, it kind of behooves you to stay above it. And sometimes I will admit it is very difficult to do that. As a prep player, what was the most fun you had playing? Like, is there a moment that you can think back to and be like, God, man, this is great. It's pure. I'm having a beautiful time. This is what it's supposed to be. You know, it's funny you say it. I I was thinking about something very similar not too long ago. Um, I was thinking about a team I played for, and it was the most fun I had in high school playing baseball altogether. Um, when I was in high school, I played for a team called the East L.A. Dodgers. And the East L.A. Dodgers – when you think of East L.A., you think of, you know, poor Mexican families in East L.A. And that is honestly a lot of East L.A. is that this team was just filled with grinder, young East L.A., poor Mexican dudes, young guys in high school, a couple of junior college guys. They were the most fun group of ball players to this day I have ever played with. I remember every time they'd break a bat or crack a bat, they'd always hand it to me. And I was, you know, 16, 17. I had chest hair at the time. So they called me Wolverine. So they were, every time a bat would kind of crack, they'd be like, they toss it over to me. Hey, Wolverine, handle it. So I would always take the bat and break it in a different way. Either I just break it like that or I break it over my knee, over my head, everything just to get them going. Cause the, they're like, we need it. We need this Wolverine, handle it. I'm like, I got it. Break it. Dugout goes crazy. We'd go put up a five spot on some team. It was the best. I, I loved those guys. It was a great team. Um, that, and I, I'd say, honestly, my senior year of high school, I had a new head coach, a great guy, a lot of experience a guy named Kevin Brockway kind of came in and changed the culture of our high school team. And I was in theater at the time. So not only was I, you know, hitting all these homers at Santa Monica high school, but I was also starring in all the theater productions. So we had one production of the music man and the music man's opening night was opening day of the baseball season. Here's what's fun about that. We got rained out on opening day, which means we are for opening day is now Saturday morning and it was supposed to be late, but I had an, I had a, I had a matinee show. So they were able to move the sh move the game to 9. AM matinee is not till two I'm gold. So I think the game started at nine. We play where I'm playing great. I was two for two with three intentional walks, a homer and a double. Then they stopped throwing to me and we were leading one, nothing in the seventh inning in high school baseball at seven inning games, not nine inning games. And we gave up a tying run. And I was thinking, man, this game has only been an hour and 20 minutes. I got so much time to prep. I'm playing Professor Harold Hill and the Music Man. There is literally a line. I could see the theater because we have a huge theater at Santa Monica High School. Uh, it holds about 3,000, 4,000 people. It's called Barnum Hall. Beautiful place. A lot of concerts are always there. And I see the line going into the theater going like, so the show opens in one hour. I, okay, we got to wrap this game up. The game goes 11 innings. 
30 minutes past when curtain's supposed to go. I looked at my left field because I'm catching. I looked at left field. I see my director is just standing there on the fence watching the game. But he went back and got the, my home run ball, went back to the crowd and said, he will be here soon. He's literally playing a game right over there. This is the home run ball he hit today. And he's going to come and perform Music Man for you. I sprinted in full uniform in the uh, after the 11th inning up to the left field over the fence went in there got changed quickly I basically ran in there and I just said I don't need any prep time get the band going I will have my, I will be dressed in five let's go got the show going man those people saw saw one hell of a professor Harold Hill did you crush oh you bet your ass I crushed what are you talking about that I crush dude got on that stage and owned it that is an epic story man to go from Helping your team, being on the field, to running to a performance—it was hilarious. And I, I wish, I wish that there was some amount of this that was exaggerated. There is not anything I'm exaggerating. I—it's literally in left field. I sprinted in full. I basically told my coach, "Grab my gear, put it in your office." Can you do that? He's like, "Yes." I'm like, "All right, bye." I just sprinted out there and went backstage. And said, I still had my spikes on. I'm like sliding on the floor. I'm like, "Just everybody, hold me up and just get me over to the dressing room." It was it was awesome. Man. Please it was, tell me that your teammates came to see that performance. They did not. I, oh, come on. Come on, man. It's high school. They didn't want to see a musical. <laughs> they, they thought what I was doing was so uncool. But really? looking back, I'm like, you guys wish you did that. I bet. Like, hell yeah. Like, to be able to 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 be multifaceted is great. Is there is there a role that you wish you could have played that you didn't play? Yeah, I um I, I convinced that director the year before. Um and I, and I, he, he wanted to do the music man, but at the time I wasn't a singer. I couldn't dance, but the music man is the only musical I love. The only one. I don't know why I'm a at a young age. And I'm like, I I'm, I'm playing professor Hill Hill. He's like, no, you're not. You're, we're doing play it against Sam next year. And you're playing this role. You convinced me last year to do this play. Cause you want to do it. I'm like, yeah, but you didn't tell me the music man was going to be happening. He's like, yeah, but you can't sing. So, and he's like, what do you mean? So I'm like, Patrick, uh, the guy who played the music man in the movie couldn't sing either. He got away with it. I'm way more charming than that son of a bitch. And he's just like, you're not getting the role. I said, I'm not even going to audition for Play It Against Sam. That's how much I'm getting the music man. He was, he wouldn't talk to me for a month. And every day I'd come in, going into the piano, working on singing, working on the parts, putting together. And he's just like, you're not getting the role. I'm like, dude, I'm getting the role. It's no one else is getting this. He's like, it's going to go to this guy. He's got an amazing voice. He does have an amazing voice, but he ain't this baby. I, I, I crushed that audition. And I remember when he went out in the back and came back in the front and announced that I got the role, he was furious that he was about to say this. He just got out there and he just came back, sat down. He's like, God damn it. Okay. Cody, your professor, Harold Hill, congratulations. Or Harold Hill can't sing. And he walked out the room and that was a lie. I could sing, but it was, uh, it was more of a, it was, we had a guy who was just an unbelievable voice who seemed like the obvious choice. And, but it's mostly speed talking. It's mostly rapping. I mean, that professor Harold Hill was very easy on the vocal cords. I had a lot of fun playing it though. Do you, could you envision yourself playing a role in Hamilton? No, really don't, did, don't, it didn't speak to you or no, no, it absolutely spoke to me. I do not have the, I don't have, the chops where I can do the no where I can do the I can do the rapping of Professor Harold Hill that is far different than actual professional rapping that you see <laughs> like Professor Harold Hill is more of a speed talker he's trying he, you know he's the monorail salesman he's a salesman he's a, yeah 
Yeah, he's just the salesman. It's very easy to sit there and talk, go all day and be like, he's a what? He's a what? He's a music man. He sells clarinets to the kids in the town. The rat at that drums. Big brass bass. Big brass bass. Not even my song, but you get it. Um, but it's where Hamilton is, you know, well sequenced, well syncopated. I mean, they're musicians. Those are those are all people who know how to rap, and I'm pretty sure they all know how to freestyle rap. None of which I can do. Okay. All right. I always like to ask people about Hamilton because I, I mean, Hamilton's incredible and I would kill to do it, but obviously, I mean, I just, I do not have, I don't have the physical talent to pull that one. off. <laughs> I talk a lot to, to kids on the show about baseball and look, I'm a product of Jackie Robinson West in Chicago. I, I grew up playing with what was the neighborhood team. Okay. Now it seems like those are disappearing. And I hear a lot of parents complain about how much they're paying for travel ball and, and everything else. What's your advice to a parent that wants their child to have fun playing baseball and thinks maybe they have an outside shot of someone paying for them partially to go to college and play baseball? What's your advice on what they should do? Well, it's, it's like a multi-tiered answer. So hear me out on this a little bit. The, the, I will admit to you, yes, club ball is one of the uglier sides of where kind of baseball is these days, especially on the youth side. If you go to any sporting goods store at Dick's or a, you, you see those bats, those bats are three to five, six hundred dollars. Gloves, good gloves. I mean, if, if you're a 12 year old rocking a heart of the hide, you know, pro pro Rawlings glove. Guys, save your money. What are, you, what are you guys doing? You're 12. You do not need a heart of the hide, you know, gold glove from Rawlings. Just get a glove that works. You'll be perfectly fine. You know, there are ways to cut corners. Like I had, I didn't have an expensive bat until I was like 14 years old. I had this old white TPX Louisville slugger. And it was still to this day, the greatest bat I've ever used to this day. It was just a piece of crap. And I loved it because uh, at the end of the day, your stats do not matter until you are a deep into high school and even then they still don't matter that much what really matters is your projectability your size your athleticism um the stats are just a bonus you know once you get to college then it's a kind of a different game but how to find it affordable there are ways to do it and this is kind of the tricky thing you have to know where to look i'll give you an example in el paso texas i am a part uh, i'm the associate executive director of a baseball and softball nonprofit, and our whole goal is to get kids into college through baseball and softball as affordably as physically possible um you know we we try to provide training we try to provide um athletic uh, academic tutoring we try to provide uh ncaa clearinghouse all the things you need to go to college but the actual work that you got to do is you know i can show you the road it's the old morpheus saying i I can show you the path you're the one that's got to walk it um and it's hard work uh the amount of work just to go to a d1 school d2 school even a junior college if you play past the age of 18 You've accomplished something very, very miraculous because it is very hard to play after the age of 18. Is it easy to do? No, it's it's staggeringly difficult, but it's very possible. And it is possible to do it on a budget. The problem is you are accidentally being cut off by a lot of those club teams. So there are other things like American Legion that are helpful, uh, high school that's helpful. Uh, I mean, as long as you can get out there and get some at-bats. And the other thing about club ball these kids that are playing year round every single week. Oh my God, stop it. Stop it. Stop it. Stop it. Become a well-rounded kid because if you burn yourself out at 12 years old, baseball is going to be miserable. And I cannot stress this enough. It doesn't matter how good you are at 12. I care about how good you are at 17 because no one's recruiting you at 12. 
13, 14, probably even 15. You don't get really recruited till later on. It's the, it's the absolute freaks that have come in freshman year as grown men who already throwing 92 that get recruited as a freshman. So why do you think parents, why are parents so susceptible to the pitch of you need to travel, you need to work with this particular coach and you need to do this and you need to be in this league. You need to spend tens of thousands of dollars on your baseball or softball player. Why are they so easily fooled into that? Well, there's some of it you do need to spend if you really is, but like the overall arching thing of club ball, why is it easy? Because professor Harold Hill is coming into town and he's selling you a, he's selling you a a band. That's what he's doing. Uh, There's nothing you can really at the age until you're 13 years old, I'll, I'll, I'll tell you as a hitter, uh, until you're 13 years old, the only things you need to know how to do is stride, pivot, and swing, and hold your balance. If you can do that at the age of 13, congratulations. You are ahead of the game. That's all you need to know. You don't need to learn anything about hand path, barrel path. You don't need to learn anything about metrics. You don't need to learn anything about working out yet. Literally, you don't need to do anything except for enjoy playing baseball and learn how to stride, pivot, and swing, and hopefully not fall over. That's it. Nothing else you need to learn. You basically got to ru- get those mechanics down to lay your foundation. And then when you start to grow, now we can start getting to the more complicated things, the things that hand path, barrel path, pitch, uh, pitch selection. We start getting to actual hitting things, um, you know, and it's not all about swing. That's the other thing. We're not. I, yeah, I can teach somebody how to swing a bat, but they have to know how to hit. There's two different things here that are always com- confusing with each other. Swinging the bat and hitting are two very different things. So it's just a combination of people are unfortunately gullible. A lot of, a lot of people out there are selling hopes and dreams. You got to play for this club team because if you don't play for this club team, you can't go to the world major leagues. I mean, even something as good as like the Cooperstown tournament that you see all the time, kids go to Cooperstown every summer. I played in the Cooperstown tournament. You don't have to play in the Cooperstown tournament to do anything, but Cooperstown was not afraid to post out a thing. Hey, these major leaguers in the world series, you're all played in Cooperstown. Everyone played in Cooperstown. It doesn't mean anything. It does not mean you're going to play in the major leagues because you go to Cooperstown. Can't stress that enough. It's just marketing and people, people are always going to try to make money off this game. The game is expensive, sadly. And that's honestly one of my biggest complaints about it. What's the name of the nonprofit? Uh, my, uh, the nonprofit is the El Paso Border Youth Athletic Association. Please check out our website, borderyouth.org. Really proud of it and the, the work that we do. We've gotten some kids into college. Um, you know, it, we've gotten some guys even signed to pro contracts, especially in this year of COVID, you know, we, we had to come up with some new ways to get these guys recruited. Um, so I, I put together some, you know, live at bats with a lot of technology involved and we would broadcast these at bats live to showcase some of our hitters, showcase some of our arms that unfortunately weren't on teams and weren't able to get out there and get seen, especially during COVID. How fulfilling is this for you? It's, it's when you. I will say it's a lot of work sure. and, a, and a ton of it is frustrating. I'm not going to lie. But when you get that one kid who didn't think he was ever going to play again, signed to a D1 school, or you get a kid who I was working with for years who, you know, finally got a professional opportunity um, or another kid that we've been training forever who got, you know, cut from his college team and it looked like he was never going to play again. And then he got signed by a pro contract because we built him up so much to do this. I mean, it, it's all possible. It's just a lot of work. And it, it, that part is the most fulfilling thing. I, it's like I get to relive my dreams through those guys. It's not because of me they're getting there, but knowing that I, I got to help them, you know, 
live out their dream and knowing that I could be there to kind of help them guide them through this career, which can be very daunting and difficult. Uh, I wish somebody was there for me in the same way. I asked you about prep. What's the most fun you had as a professional playing baseball? Whew. I, I, I'm a guy who was very lucky in that I, I had a lot of fun playing baseball. I had a lot of fun playing baseball. And it's, it's so funny. People, always, people are usually always wondering of the dark things, the bad things you, you know, I went through. And, of course, there's plenty of that, you know, sleeping in your car and all that. But that um, – it wasn't the WBC in 2017 with Team Israel. It was actually before that. It was the WBC qualifier um, in 2016 in Brooklyn. Uh, we had to win that tournament to get in the WBC. That four days was the most fun I ever had in playing baseball, maybe in my life. So much so that I was going to retire then. I hated baseball that year. I hated it with, with a fiery passion. I hated what it did to me. I hated, I just, I was, I was just distraught. I felt like I had a bad, it was just a terrible year, 2016. Terrible. And I wanted to quit. And I wanted to hang them up. And I remember I was, I, I, I got released by the Rockies, signed by the Red Sox. I had to go to double A for the Red Sox. I was just in the big leagues, but now here I'm in double A with the Red Sox. And I was on the team with Nate Fryman, ex-teammate of mine with the Padres and Israel. I remember getting a phone call from the GM saying, we want to get the team going again. We got the qualifier. And I just said, I'm, I appreciate it, but I'm out. Thank you. He's like, what? No, you, you can't be out. I'm like, I'm sorry. I, I just, I can't do this anymore. The moment the season's over, I'm, I'm going home. And I was going to decide whether or not to hang them up. And I remember sitting there and my, my girlfriend at the time, my now wife talked, kind of said, you'll regret this. You will regret this. You should go play. And I started talking with Nate and I kind of talked to Nate and Nate was kind of on the fence too. And I just, we finally, after two weeks, we were playing against, we played a game against uh, New Hampshire, which was double A for the uh, Toronto Blue Jays. And me and Nate were in the exact same scenario. We were just in the big leagues last year. We got picked up. We got signed by a team, traded immediately, and immediately released by the team we got traded to. And we both had to sign in double A. Ryan LaVarnway, exactly the same thing. He's over there in Toronto. All three of us, all Jewish, all being asked to go play for Team Israel. All of us just like, why are we even doing this anymore? This is a nightmare. And I remember Nate sat there, and we looked at each other. We started talking with Ryan, and like, it would be fun to play with Ryan. We never played with Ryan before. Like, yeah, that would be fun. And we just sat around and Nate and I finally looked locked eyes. And we're like, if you do it, I'll do it. And he just goes, all right, we'll do it. We go to Brooklyn, same, a lot of the same group of guys as the previous time. And that team meant a lot to us. Like it was a very close knit group and we get in this tournament. And I just remember just everything felt for the first time all year felt great. It was just, I was around friends. I was around Oh my! And what I loved about this team, it was a lot of guys like me and Nate and Ryan, guys who were got to the big leagues, but everyone just, you know, crapped all over and wouldn't give a chance to. And like when I got to the big leagues, I got to start one game. I didn't play when I went to the big leagues. I saw one start and then I never got a chance to play again. Uh, it's not exactly the opportunity you want. And that my, this team was entirely filled with those guys, those quote unquote four a guys that, you know, don't belong in the big leagues apparently and i remember playing in this tournament and we were just like we are gonna beat the hell out of everybody in this tournament this is gonna be easy and we had a blast beating the hell out of everybody in that tournament i mean an absolute blast so much so that you know when we got over to tokyo or or first korea we got there and i remember the the two espn wrote an article calling us wannabes and losers and wow uh, and we were 200 to one to win i'm just like 
do these sons of bitches have no idea we're about to beat the hell out of all of your stars? We're better than you. You have stars. We got ball players, and we're going to kick your ass. And we did because we were that good. And uh, it, was, it was great watching. And it was really fun to watch the narrative flip because we went from not belonging there to we go over to uh, Tokyo, we beat the hell out of Cuba, and they're trying to create the narrative. You're just the USA B team. We just spat out our drinks. I'm like, you think the USA team even looked at one of us like once? United States of America, you think they looked at me and said, you know what? Leave Manny Machado at home. Get Decker's ass on board. That didn't happen. You, you lying sacks of crap. Like, let's be real honest. You know what happened? You went out of the field. You didn't know it was about to happen. We kicked your ass like we knew we would. That's outstanding. Yeah, it was awesome. I, I loved that experience. That was great. There was some, there were some down things in it, but for the most part, you know, the, those teammates. If they uh, asked, if they asked you to play again, would you do it? You're because you're still young enough. Oh yeah, I can still play. I just don't know if I want to to play anymore. And it's not about anything with them. It's just I feel like I've already kind of done everything I they'll ever let me do. Sure. In baseball playing wise, you know, I had an opportunity to go back and play this last season. Um, I got an offer and I eventually turned it down. And my final decision on that was, you know, my last at bat was a walk off home run. It was a good way to go out. And let's be real clear. There is no chance in hell. Someone's going to put me back in the big league. So do I really need another triple a home run? Yeah. You can put me there and I'll hit you 30 again, but then I'm just going to go back home at the end of the year. You're not going to call me up. So and one of my last year with the Diamondbacks, they even said as much, and I appreciated it. I, 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 this doesn't, I hope this doesn't sound like I'm bitter about this. I love the Diamondbacks. They were great. They were wonderful to me, but they told me straight out, straight out, um, you know, deck, it's going to be a borderline miracle for you to get called back to the big leagues. We, we need you to be crash Davis and AAA. We need you to help out those young guys. And even if you have 40 home runs at the break and we have an opportunity to call you up or a young 22 year old prospect, we're going to go with the 22 year old prospect. And I just said, hey, man, I can't get back to the big leagues from my couch, so I'll take the job. You do me a favor and try and sell me to uh, Korea or Japan so you guys can make some money off me and I can uh, go play over there. And that was always kind of my goal those last few years. I really wanted to go play in Japan. Sadly, it never came to fruition. You have one unheard message. Hi, I was calling Current, the influencer marketing platform, but I think I just got redirected to a bunch of people listening to a podcast. Well, anyways, I was calling Current because I was told they could help get my brand set up on TikTok shop and even build out an affiliate program of content creators promoting my brand and even have those content creators go on live streams and promote my product there. Wow. <laughs> I could really use Current. <laughs> I also heard that the brands they work with are making millions in sales. I guess I'll just go to their website at current.tech. Without the ones like you, who work tirelessly to keep things running, everything would suddenly stop. Hospitals, factories, schools, and power plants, they all depend on you. No matter the weather, emergency, or time of day, you're the ones who get it done. At Granger, we're here for you. With professional-grade industrial supplies, count on real-time product availability and fast delivery. Call, clickgranger.com or just stop by. Granger for the ones who get it done. If Team Israel says, hey, Deck, we want you to coach. No. You're out on that, too? 100% no. Why? There is, there is a call they can give me that I would say yes. 
put you in charge of Team Israel? If you give him the manager job, I'll do it. Okay. In a heartbeat. I'll, I, I've, I've had actually that conversation. I told him I'd be interested in that job. But if they came in with me and say, hitting coach, nah, you can call somebody else. So let's go back to you getting called up. Mm. When you get called up, walk me through your emotions. Oh, yeah, that was, a, that was quite a day. Um, it's funny. I, I, it was another one of those crossroads moments. It was just the year before, too. It was 2015. I was with the Padres for seven years. Um, at that point, I had all of their records, every one of their organizational records. Home runs, I had it by like 50. Uh, RBIs, I had it by like 200. I, I had, you name a record, I had it. And I'm just sitting there going like, and these guys have never called me up, not one time. I was a 22nd rounder signed for $638.43 after taxes. I've led the organization in home runs every year with minimal at bats, especially those last few years. Cause it was, I think 2015, I was, you know, I was starting on the triple a all-star team on MLB network. And then I sat for an entire month. I'm like, I finished this year with 325 at bats and I was an all-star the year before I only had 400 and like 10 at 20 at bats. The year before that, I had like 320 at-bats. Each year was 20 or 30 home runs, but I was being cut off 200, 250 at-bats. It was driving me kind of nuts. I'm like, I'm, I'm leading your organization in all these things, and you're not even giving me the at-bats to really show you what I can do, to, what kind of damage I can do. And I remember the last game of the year. It was a playoff game. We got knocked out by the Fresno Grizzlies, which was AAA for the Astros. I don't need to tell you what that team ended up becoming. Uh -huh. ended up becoming the Astros. <laughs> And they were they were ridiculous. It was a, it was not a fair it was not a fair team to play against. You know, you're going up there facing. Oh, Carlos Carrera's up. He's okay. Uh, it's just it was just one after the other. And keep in mind, all those guys were constantly being called up and you know contributing with that Astros team. It, it was a ridiculous team. But I'll, I remember that game ended. I I remember I sat there in the locker room like this is kind of their last chance to ever call me up. And I just looked at my looked at my co one of my hitting coach, and he's just like, "Sorry, Dak." And I'm like. I get it, packed up my stuff, went home. And I remember I landed at LAX the next morning, obviously not feeling phenomenal about myself. I just, you know, felt like I just, you know, at that moment, I'm like, did I just waste seven years of my life? Mm. Like just spinning my wheels for no reason, man, this, this is a real gut. It was a gut punch. Cause it wasn't like I had a bad reputation. I was very well-liked guy. Um, and I remember I get a phone call. Uh, from Sam Ganey. I see Sam Ganey. He was our head of player development. It was his first year. Sam's a great guy. And Sam, um, I get pick up the phone and I thought Sam was just calling me to say thank you because I did write him a really nice text the night before because it was his first year in that job. He was the same year, kind of the same age as me. I think he the job was a little daunting him that first year, but you could see that he was going to be perfectly fine. So I wrote them that text. I just said, hey man, uh, I want to thank you for this year. You were great. I, I know you're going to be amazing at this job going forward too. And you know, I just want to thank you and I want to thank the San Diego Padres uh, for everything. Um, you know, hopefully we'll talk in the offseason. I get that phone call and that baggage claim at LAX, you know, still kind of have some light mist in my eyes. And I get the phone call and he just said, thank you. I want to thank you for that text. I'm like, oh, man, no problem. man. You're going to be great. Not expecting anything else in this conversation to take place. And he just goes like, well, where are you at right now? I said, I'm, at I'm at baggage claim. Just grab my stuff. He's like, oh, well, I want you to know how much you mean to this organization, what you've done here. I'm like, thank you. That means a lot because at this point, just for full context, it was my seventh year in the organization. I had five different uh, general managers during my time. I had uh, you had Jed, right? I had Jed Hoyer for uh, maybe three weeks. I, Jed Hoyer couldn't pick me out of a lineup if he tried. 
even when I was playing for him. Uh, Jed Hoyer was there for a short time. So I started with Kevin Towers. Jed Hoyer came in. Then he left, and Josh Burns took over. Then he gets fired, and A.J. Hinch takes over, and he quits, and A.J. Preller takes over. So I had five GMs in my seven years there. And each GM that came in, I just kept getting bumped down further on their list because they don't know me. They're right, you're guys. not their guy. So No, so trust me, Hoyer came in. What was the first thing they did? Well, d- we don't need this Decker first base. We're going to trade for Anthony Rizzo. So Anthony Rizzo comes to the Padres. So I'm behind Anthony Rizzo. Then he leaves and goes to the Cubs. So I'm like, oh, thank God. No more, no more of Anthony Rizzo in front of me. Guy's two year, three years younger than me. Obviously, they're going to use him over me every, forever. They bring in Yonder Alonso. Okay, okay, great. Now I'm behind Yonder Alonso. Then they bring in Yasmani Grandal. I'm like, okay, I'm behind Yasmani Grandal and Yonder Alonso. And I'm just sitting here. I'm like, is there anyone else you could possibly put in front of me? Like anyone else? And the answer was yes. They found as many people as possible to put in front of me to play my positions. It was just the greatest. But Sam continued the conversation and he's just like, listen, I just, you mean a lot. And I, I just like, means a lot to me. You hear you say that. Thank you. And he's like, well, um, we're going to need you to go ahead. And I, and I feel horrible that I'm calling you, Cody. It, I, this should not be me calling you. You have people in this organization, you've known for a long time. I'm like, yeah, but I appreciate the call. And he's like, well, I have, I, it's my unfortunate news to tell you, you need to get back on a flight. The team needs you in Arizona. We'll see you in Arizona in a couple hours. And I just pause. I'm like, huh? He's like, you're going to the big leagues. You're meeting the team in Arizona. Grab your bags. There's a flight waiting for you right now. I'm like, no, no, there is not. And I just kind of pause. I'm like, Sam, here's the deal. If this is a prank, it's amazing. It's really good. It's phenomenal. I just want you to know where I am in, at right now mentally that this one might push me over the edge. I love pranks, and I mean this from the bottom of my heart. This is hilarious. But this one, if it's a prank... <laughs> There's going to be some smoke in the city if this is a prank. Like, it's, it's, I just want you to know, I will, I will burn the world down. <laughs> he, just, he just started laughing. He's like, it's not a prank. It's not a prank, but I can totally see why you're worried. And, uh, yeah, luckily the flight wasn't only for a few hours, so I was able, I was in LAX. I, my, my wife came and picked me up. I told her first. Uh, what was amazing, right after when I got off the phone, before I even told my wife, this is the weirdest thing that actually happened. And I still have not received an answer on exactly how this took place. Because right when I got off the phone, the moment click off the phone, I'm sitting here like, I don't know what, oh my God. I, I, oh my God. It's like that moment, moment you waited for your whole life. You don't know what to do. I immediately, my phone pings and I look down and it's from Reggie. And Reggie says, congratulations, big leaguer. And I just, and I just, but this means you knew this before I did. How, why would you? You've been retired for 15 years. Why would you know something happening with San Diego before me? He's like, don't worry about it. Congratulations, though. Oh, Reggie again. Always gets me. So I was able to drive over to my folks' place real quick, tell them, and they were excited. It was, it was, very, it was a very emotional day. Um, you know, I, 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 I will love the Padres for the, my forever. I, I truly mean that. I mean, I know it sounds like I'm complaining about them because truly, it's, I, 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 there are teams I do not like. Oh, 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 I know. Milwaukee, Milwaukee, Colorado. I do not like them. And I am not afraid to say that I do not like them. And I'll say it to their face. There's nothing about them. What are they going to do? They already fired me once. You can't fire me again. So when you get a chance to put on the actual Padres uniform. Awesome. It was so cool. Yeah. I mean, this is your whole life. You've been you've been fighting your whole life to get to this point. What's it feel like? 
uh, a combination. It was just a lot of emotions, you know, that was a very unique team. You know, I had a lot of guys on that team that I was really fr- longtime friends with in the organization too. You know, they, they all, you know, they wanted to make it clear to me that this was earned. This is not, they're not just bringing me up to not, to not do anything. Unfortunately, I, I didn't really do anything. It's like one of those things, you know, they, what they tell you is they mean it. They didn't, they didn't mean for me not to do anything. They just, it didn't really work out. And but that's okay. I mean, they gave me the opportunity to call myself a big leaguer. I got to play in a major league stadium. I got to have my one start be at Dodger stadium uh, in front of all the people I grew up with in front of parents and kids. I give, gave hitting lessons to, you know, at public parks. Uh, it was just, I'll, I even remember I made the last out at first base. I grabbed the ball and I start running into the dugout, that short run into the dugout. And I look up and I just happened to see one of my, uh, players that I've been training for years, his dad at the top of the fr- first level. And, you know, it's not an easy toss underhand all the way over there, but for whatever reason, I saw him, he saw me, I flipped him the ball from arguably 130 feet away. And he just caught it right to just here. And I, I remember that I'm like, my God, when I don't think about things, my accuracy is just phenomenal. That was, that was some bullseye type stuff. Dude, like, it's such it a, awesome. it's such an amazing thing. And so you have this life in baseball, uh, an RBI, right? You, you did drive in a run as a major league player, correct? I did. I hit a, I had a sack fly to right field off of Alex Wood. That was another thing. I, 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 was, I was pretty damn good against lefties. Alex Wood is not a fun at bat to have, especially when you haven't seen anybody because he throws so many elbows and everything at you. So his 91 looks like 98. Um, and you know, he was a tricky guy to face. So he gave me my first at bat, my next at bat. I think I grounded out and I think I, uh, hit a pop out, a deep fly ball to right center field for a sack fly, which was cool to, to have that is amazing. I got a stat, man. I got my stat, you know, in, at the end of the day, you know, there's only been 20,000 guys who ever spent one second on a major league field. Yep. You know, I, I get to call myself a big leaguer. I got, I got to make it. It took me a while. It, of course it wasn't what I dreamed it to be but you know what at the end of the day i got to play in the big leagues and not a lot of people get to say that so we we go from this guy who is toggling between playing baseball clearly has a lot of charisma because he's also the music man and then when your career is over and i'm using a dot 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 on that you're able to then turn into a whole take what you love and then talk about it and people are interested so when did you make the decision that you know what all these funny stories anecdotes all the stuff that I've gone through in my minor league career my major league career it could be helpful when did you decide that you were going to step behind a microphone um it's funny um I always kind of knew that was where I was are most likely headed um, I had offers all through my career. Uh, I also grew up in the LA radio scene. You know, I was, I worked on the T on the show, Mark and Brian in Los Angeles with KLOS in, in, in LA. And that was, you know, Mark and Brian are legendary, uh, you know, broadcasters. And, uh, you know, then I got to work with Mark again when he came out of retirement and took on a new show in LA. And this, at this point I was playing for the Royals and I was his, I was a sports guy while playing for the Royals and we had fun doing that. So I was always kind of around radio. I always loved radio. Um, I did some, especially when I was at the Padres, I did a lot of TV for Fox sports, San Diego while I was doing stuff for them. So they, they made a lot of offers. I actually got 
a, a few offers from the San Diego Padres while I was still playing for them to kind of retire and go in the media side. And I just kept turning them down and turning them down. And one day I just, I was with the Diamondbacks. I knew what my role was, the role I told you about earlier, where they said, you know, we want you to take care of the younger guys and it's going to be a miracle to get you back to the big leagues here. And, you know, I felt like I was spinning my wheels a little bit. I wasn't playing much. I was just there um, helping out the team, pinch hitting. When I pinch hit, I got, I did my damage and I got out. And I just remember I got a phone call and, and um, I had some opportunities that I really wanted to do. And I just kind of looked at my wife and I said, I've done everything I can here. Like they just, it's not because I can't, it's just, I just, they won't let me. And it's not, they're not wrong to not let me at this point. I'm 32. I got teammates on my team that are 21 calling me pops. It's pretty clear. I got to maybe make an adjustment. And I had the opportunity. I had some other opportunities as well. You know, they, a lot of people wanted me to go in the coaching route. A lot of, a lot of manager offers over the years and turned every one of them down. Cause I, I'm a ball player. And then, uh, Finally, something came along with Odyssey, radio.com sports at the time that, um, you know, we, we did, I did, got flown in for a few auditions. I got flown in to work with some people during the season. The Diamondbacks allowed me to do this. They just said, don't publicize it. So I, I remember we were, I was going to meet the team in Albuquerque after spending two days in Boston. And, uh, you know, I had a blast doing that off days. I would come to Los Angeles, do some more demos. And they had an offer with, for me and my wife, Jen, to do a show together. And how could you pass that up? That was just, that sounded awesome to me. And uh, we did it. And it was, Swings and Misses was just, I loved that show. To this day, it's the best job I've ever had. I will never have a better job than that stupid, irreverent morning sports show. Um, and that's what we were going for. We were very much going for the feel of a morning radio show that also has sports. We wanted it to be more based in, you know, entertainment and fun sure and and i i feel like we really accomplished that i i love that show and i hope i hope at some point i get to bring back a version of it speaking of jen i mean if you look at the way that she has moved in the industry i i would say that there are some parallels to your baseball career like she's a grinder man like she she's worked her ass off to get where she is how do you think she makes you better and how do you think you make her better? Uh, I don't make her better probably at all. Um, she, she is just amazing despite me. Uh, and every, any ounce of advice I could ever give her, I would probably be wrong. Um, how does she make, make me better? She has always kind of held me accountable, especially on the air. Believe it or not, she, most of my notes I get on anything TV, it uh, usually comes from her. Not, not as much radio, but more TV. But yeah, she's... She is a savvy businesswoman. She is a go-getter. She works her ass off. Um, and she's absurdly talented. Every, everything she does, it's, it's crazy. Whether it's stand-up comedy, whether it's hosting a sports show, whether it's sideline reporting, whether it's you know writing, writing literal scripts for the wrestling company she's working for. Like, she does it all. It's, it's actually, she's a marvel. It's, it's an incredible what she's capable of doing. Considering all the things that, she's been through to get to where she is how much strength do you draw from her experiences i don't know if it's strength yeah i think it's strength because you know i think just like anybody else we people get just as vulnerable with these things as anybody else you know jen puts up a very strong and great front but you know i think she'd even be willing to tell you yeah there there are plenty of things that bother her that 
you know, still get thrown into her face. That really hurt. And it sucks. And, you know, I find myself both amazed by her and also, you know, I very much want to protect my wife. Mm -hmm. I, I, I care about her and I don't want her to feel certain ways. So I, um, it's a combination of the two, you know, I, I want always to be there for her and, but also know that I cannot fight any battles for her. That's for her to do. And for me to support. Do you think that there are other players that during your time coming up probably should have taken the advice of the organization to go into a different realm of baseball? And what advice would you give that person? Like, let's say that that person is teetering on being out of baseball, but they've got personality like you've got. What advice would you give them on what to do and how to do it? The only guy I ever played with that was similar to me in that respect was Tim Dillard uh, with the Brewers. And Tim's awesome. Great guy. Very funny. Um, and now he does a lot of stuff for the Brewers uh, for their pre and post game show. And he, he's killing it. Uh, he's honestly the only guy I ever played with. I think that I'm like, yeah, you're obviously going to go into this when you're done. You're kind of setting yourself up. The other guy that I thought was that way was Peter Moylan. Um, and Peter is doing a great job over there in Atlanta. So those guys never needed any advice from someone like me. It was usually the guys on the baseball side where the game was telling them they had to move on and they had some job opportunities that they, you know, I've been sitting there trying to convince them to take. I had a teammate. Um, ah, he wouldn't mind me saying it. I had a teammate named Jeremy Rodriguez. Jeremy Rodriguez, who I grew up with. He also was a Reggie guy, but a small guy, not big in stature, but a good catcher can hit a little bit but he was never going to get an opportunity. It was just never going to happen. He was going to be bouncing around the organization as a backup catcher. And it has nothing to do with his skill level. He could have totally played it just not in the cards for him, for whatever reason, but he got offered the, while he was living with me in El Paso, he was sleeping on my couch to open up the season 2015. They asked him if he would be the manager of the Dominican summer league team. And he's sitting there. I'm like, should I really hang him up and go into the coaching side? And I just said, listen, they're offering you a manager job right out the gate. Yes, it's the lowest manager job, but you can go over there and cut your teeth there for a year or two, which he, he ended up doing it. He went and cut his teeth there for a couple of years. He ended up going to low A and Great Lakes, and then he became the bench coach in AAA for a couple of years and managed some games there. Uh, and now he's, he's on the outside of the game right now, but he ended up managing for several years. And you could see it with him that he would be a, a phenomenal leader of these, especially young players. Uh, other guys, you know, I, I had teammates who, um, a guy like Griffin Benedict, he was a, you know, a high A double A catcher, good player. The Padres offered him a, a dual role as a big league bullpen coach and a scouting position. And he had to think long and hard on it. Cause he's like, I've been a ball player my whole life. Is this the direction I have to go? And that's your organization basically saying, this is what we have for you. You can go to high A, but we have this job where you can start your real career. And he took it and he's been having a great career ever since it's, you know, the game always tells you when it's time to hang him up. And I felt like the game was getting ready to tell me. Uh, and I just decided to go out on my terms. Uh, I I'm, I'm lucky that I got to do that. Not a lot of guys get to go out on their own terms. It's always, it's always, you get the pink slip and it, good luck to you, you know, going forward. I got to go to my teammates, go to my organization, say, thank you. Uh, this Saturday is going to be my final game. And I didn't know I was going to walk off home run that game, but it was pretty sweet. Is there a job in baseball inside the game that you would want? Several. Like what? Well, what do you think what your experience has taught you that you'd be good at immediately? 
I'd be good at everything immediately. I'm not, I I, there's it. not a single thing you would put me in, in, ba- in major league baseball that I wouldn't be better than everyone else around you. Period. I know that for a fact. And the worst part is a lot of them know that too. But um, I, my dream was always to be a big league manager. That was always my dream job, not to be a 20 year big leaguer. My dream job was always to be the manager of the team. Um, but here's the truth. I am not a well-known or attractive name, especially right now at 34 years old. I'm a guy that's on the media side right now, and I've had some cool opportunities and cool job offers and conversations. But at this point, you have to wonder, how, does, how do people even become big league managers anymore? Look throughout the major leagues at the moment. I mean, Gabe Kapler is the manager of the uh, Giants. Giants. Before that, managed in Philly. But before that, he was the head of player development for the Dodgers. Here's the funny thing about that. He came straight from FS1 to being the head of player development for the Dodgers. That doesn't really make any sense. That makes – there is literally nothing in your background that says you should be the head of player development. He was great at it. Don't, don't get me wrong. Don't think for a second he couldn't do it, and he did. He was phenomenal at it. But he went from TV to a major role. Um, Aaron Boone. I mean, Aaron Boone was a well-known name, and he's a Yankee legend. So – he went from ESPN to managing the Yankees. You know, you're seeing things like that. You're not seeing quite the guy managing through the minor leagues that gets an opportunity to the big leagues anymore. Now it's you go manage the minor leagues, enjoy your next 40 years managing in the minor leagues, mm. unless maybe you get a front office job or a, a big league coaching job, which again is kind of a crapshoot. So where do I see myself fitting in the game? Possibly a front office role down the road, uh, possibly uh, upper level manager. Uh, it just depends what's out there and, it's a combination of, and I know this sounds ridiculous, but it is still a bit of a good old boys club. You got to know who you're calling. Random teams don't just call you. Usually your friend that you played with got a huge job and he has you in mind for something. And that's when you get the phone call. And that's, it's very weird. You could obviously apply for jobs as well, but those, those upper level jobs are, are uh, usually not applied for. You're a broadcaster. You work in this industry. You, your wife works in this industry. I imagine you watching a game on TV is way different than me watching a game on TV. So what do you need from broadcasters when you're watching a game? What makes it good for you? Honestly, I like it depends on the game. Like, say someone like it, who gets a lot of hell like Joe Buck. I don't think he deserves the hell he gets. I think Joe Buck does a really, really good job. And what I really like from broadcasters, especially when they're announcing a game, it's not about giving me the stats. It's not about giving me the details. It's just paint me a picture. Just paint me a picture of what I'm seeing on the field. And that's it. You just got to tell me the story that I'm watching. Just narrate. That's it. If you have a good color guy, throw to him. Sadly, Joe Buck has has not had the greatest luck in color guys over the years. You know, I've, I think we all loved what was his name? Uh, I, we all loved McCarver personally, but whenever he would throw to McCarver, McCarver going a twenty second tangent, you're like, okay, can we go back to just saying ball two? I, we don't need any more of this. It's just, it's a combination of being there, but also being minimalistic. I don't think you'd need to bring too much to the table. Just don't give me dead air. Cody, man, I appreciate you. I, I think that you've been such a great addition to the Odyssey team. And I love when you come and visit on the score because it's always entertaining. And I'm glad we got a chance to, like, hang out and, like, talk about ball. So this was fun. Any time at all, I'm glad you asked me, dude. Please, seriously, any time. I'll always make time for it. Yeah, man, like, your story is really interesting. And it's, it's fun to hear it from, 
like seeing your career play out and then you saying, man, I'm, I love hearing you say, I could do any job and I'd be great at it. Because there's so many people where their humility is false that it's nice to hear someone say, yeah, there are things I know my weaknesses. I know some oh, of the I things. Ha- and, tr- and trust me, I have them. But it's I nice to plenty he- of weaknesses. It's, it's nice to hear someone say, I am good at some of this and I can do this if given an opportunity. Oh, yeah. Baseball, listen, baseball takes care of itself. Everyone tries to introduce new concepts and new metrics and new this, new that. Those are all great. They're all good to have extra information. But at the end of the day, it's about that guy on the mound competing against that guy at the plate. And it's about to me as a front office guy or a manager or a coach to put them in the best possible position to succeed not only for them, but for our team. At the end of the day, that's what the jobs all are. And I think we get away from that. We're like, oh, well, you know, your statistical analysis. No, your job is to make that guy hit that pitcher. Your job is to make that pitcher get that guy out. That's it. At the end of the day, it's about wins and losses. Do you think we're going to see a work stoppage? No, I don't. I really don't. I, I hope we don't. I do hope that the players stand firm, but based on you know the past 20 years, they won't. Um, I, I don't think they will. Uh, there's too many free agents out there right now, too many big free agents out there mm-hmm. that I think someone's going to hit the panic button. I think the owners are just waiting. We recorded that like over a week ago from the date that it posted. And so as I'm recording this part of it, we're getting close to the December 1st deadline, which is when the lockout might occur in baseball. And Dex right. Like, if it's funny, like, how quickly things have moved along. Like, you start looking at some of the big free agents and who's signed. Like, Marcus Simeon is signed and Max Scherzer – Looks like he's getting ready to get crazy money. The Mets are out here spending, spending. So maybe we won't see a lockout. But there's still, I think, some dead-enders that are looking for huge paydays, and they're probably going to wait, and we'll see. I think Chris Bryant has been waiting for this for seven years. So we'll see if if he decides to sign a deal before we, we get to December 1. But Deck is a fascinating dude, man. You can see why companies are drawn to him because he's got opinions on the game. He cares about it. And he shares it in a way that I think is really refreshing. A lot of times, ex-players, they don't want to give you the dirt. And I don't mean like airing people's dirty laundry. I mean explaining what it's actually like. There's almost like this um, like this politeness of when you get a microphone and a platform that you're not going to talk about what it's like to be cut or what it's like when a teammate gets traded, what the standard of living is like when you're trying to make it. And I think that Cody Decker does a wonderful job of sharing all of those things while still being up to date on what's going on with the game itself and still being connected enough to know, like, it's a really, the nexus of where he's at as a broadcaster is fascinating to me. 
because he's one of the few people in the industry that's doing it that way. That has the credibility to talk about the game. Has the experiences that he's willing to share. And doesn't have fear. Isn't afraid of repercussions. Like inside the conversation that we had. Like look. Yeah I'll. I'll manage Team Israel. But I'm not going to go play. Again. Talking about what it's like to be a minor leaguer and having other prospects like jump ahead of you and what that feels like. I I think those are parts of baseball in particular that are it's it's like a, the final frontier. It's stuff that we would love to hear about the game, but we don't get it in a lot of places. And the place that we get it is with Cody Decker and all of the platforms. Like I saw him on MLB network with my man Russ Dorsey and he was just great and I'm just sitting there going man both of these guys have a chance like I hope that someone over at MLB network is smart enough to put those two dudes in a room and say figure out a show because I think that both of those guys have their combination would be really, really awesome. And I'm so glad that we've got Deck on our side over at Odyssey Sports. Like, it's great to have a resource like that when we talk about baseball. We're pretty lucky to have some tremendous baseball people. You know, Steve Stone being our senior analyst, but having Deck, you know, who's close to the game, that close to the game, is unafraid to share his opinion is great. So good luck to him. Whether you want to check him out at Odyssey Sports, he does stuff for us at 670 The Score. And if you want to get involved in what he's doing for youth baseball, borderyouth.org. Borderyouth.org. They're doing incredible stuff. They're trying to help kids who can't get that high level, and I'm using air quotes, that high level coaching to get them to where they want to go, they're doing it at borderyouth.org. Thank you so much for listening to the pod, man. We really do appreciate it. It's good stuff, and we're glad that you are a part of what it is that we do at House of L. Got another, we got more baseball people. Like, I'm really excited about some of the next few conversations that I'm going to have. It just kind of worked out that way. Like the recording schedule worked out where I got some, some baseball people to throw into the mix while we've got crazy hot stove and lockout talk going on. But I would highly recommend that you go back through the catalog. The Mitch album episode is amazing. I'm telling you, you need to go listen to that episode. And, of course, what my guys are doing with Sports Adjacent. Anytime that you give us on the House of L Network, we are grateful to you for it. And we'll keep putting out the great content. Thanks so much for your support. I'll talk to you next time.
Save big on Brunch for Mom, all in the Kroger app. Get 16-ounce packs of flavorful Angus 90% Lean Ground Sirloin for $4.99 each with a digital coupon. Then buy two, get two free on 12 packs of delicious Coca-Cola, Pepsi, or 7-Up, all with your card. Shop these deals at your local Kroger today. Or tap the screen now to download the Kroger app to save big today. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Prices and product availability subject to change. Restrictions apply. See site for details.